Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Just remember these two words. One more. For everything you're doing in life for success, just think, oh, God, should I do 100 push-ups today? No, 101. Should I make five calls to clients today? No, make six. Should I write one paragraph today? No, write two. The Power of One More by Ed Milet is legitimately the first business self-help book I've read in a long time that's really resonated with me. It gave me new ideas. This guy's been there, done it, been to the bottom, been to the top. And I really appreciate all the stories he writes about and all the things he tells me in this podcast, actually. Some of them were very helpful to me. So the man himself, Ed Milet. Your book, The Power of One More, basically the concept of one more really resonated with me. Good. Because I always tell people, over-promise and over-deliver. And they say to me, don't you mean under-promise and over-deliver? And I said, no, because under-promise is lying. Right. <laughs> like, set right. yourself a higher goal and, you know, right. be imaginative in the meeting. Right. You know, set an expectation that's even a challenge for you and then meet it. And you have a customer, a friend, a partner for life If once you do that. Amen. That's exactly right. And nobody ever says that. And then when I read The Power of One More, your, your, your book that just came out, it, you're saying that. You're basically saying there is time and there is the need, the urgency, that you need to have this one more. And uh, I'll let you talk in a second. Yeah. But one more thing I really liked about the book is the title. Because I love books where the title allows someone to, even before they read it, they could sit back and think, hey, you know, I could write a book with that exact title. I kind of get it. I don't know exactly what he's going to say. Right. But like, so like that does it. Nassim Taleb's book, um, Anti-Fragile, does it. Like I get it right away. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's other books out there that that do it. But uh, uh, I think that's always very good when a title does that. It, it, it speaks bestseller to me. Well, I hope you're right. So tell me about you first though. Like, you know, you mentioned some stories about you in the book, like like in 1998, you were giving a presentation, only eight people showed up. But like, where are you from? Who are you? Like, what makes you a big deal? <laughs> I'm not a big deal, but I... Uh, you are a big deal. You're Ed Milet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I come from a, you know, a normal family. What that means is that uh, there's a lot of dysfunction. So 
I come from lower middle class America. I don't, I'm not, we weren't poor. We had presents on Christmas day, but we weren't rich. We didn't take vacations, but my dad was an alcoholic, as you know, growing up. And so that created a certain environment that I grew up in that really definitely shaped who I am to this day. And, you know, I grew up in chaos and stress and my dad got sober when I was 15. Ironically, you'll get a kick out of this. My dad got sober on 420 which is only my old man would get sober on the on on 420 day, right? Does but, that mean he, does that mean he switched to marijuana on that day? Like it he actually, got sober he, by switching he, the pot? He did plenty of weed, trust me, before that. No, what, it, what did happen though was interesting is my dad only celebrated that birthday the rest of his life, not his actual birthday. Wow. But I'm a guy who we're talking about personal development, you know, I'm a guy who I needed to learn a lot of these things just to become baseline functioning person. But I think Well, can I a, ask can I ask yeah. why? So like your yeah. dad was an alcoholic what does that mean? Like, cause, and I know what alcoholic means, but for, for, in terms of individual experience, everyone, every alcoholic is unique. Yeah. So my dad was a, uh, disappear alcoholic. So like, I didn't know whether he would come home and different personalities. My dad wasn't necessarily violent, but he was certainly aggressive or distant when he would drink. It's really interesting. Like I only have two or three skills I've used to make, you know, what I've made in business in my life. And one of them is I'm really good at being present like you are and reading people. And that's born out of the fact I had to figure out which dad was coming through that front door when I'm five years old. I have to look up at my old man. And if it's drunk, dad, I got to get my three sisters upstairs, man. And I got to get well, mom to go take a bath, you know, and well, I got to go. Were, were, would, and you said he wasn't violent. So what, what, were, what were you afraid of? Verbally aggressive. I wouldn't say violent, like punch you, but he'd knock me around a little bit. I'd watch my dad, man, in more than like 40 physical fights in my life. I mean, like. Wow baseball game side of the freeway heck we were coming out of saint dennis catholic church one sunday and we we're in the donut line and my old man someone's the guy must have said something to my dad because my dad got in the car we drove back around to the donut line in front of all the parishioners he calls this guy back over the car pulls him towards him and headbutts him from inside my car and knocked the guy out so that's the kind of dad that i grew up with and then bam he gets sober why why did he get sober like what encouraged him to get sober my mom, uh, it's a great story. My dad and I were driving in the car. I never seen my dad cry before or after that day. He's crying as he's driving me to my little league game. I'm like, what in the world is going on? He finally turns and he looks at me and he goes, I got to pull over. And he looks at me, he goes, I'm going to try to get sober one more time. I'm going to give it one more try. And I said, why would this be any different, daddy? He says, well, your mom's taking my family. You're going to be gone. And you, you and your sisters deserve a dad you can be proud of. Your mom deserves a husband she could respect. I'm going to give this one more try. And then when he got sober, I'm like, so you're never going to drink again, Dad? He's like, I don't know. I'm just not going to drink for one more day. And for me, that was a big thing, man, because in business, I've had so many setbacks in my business life. We try to make these permanent decisions in life, which is ridiculous. Nothing's permanent. Even our bodies aren't permanent, right? And so everything, you never can quit. That's a big decision to make. I had a bunch of times I just didn't quit for one more day. And it served me really, really well. So when you ask who I am, I'm a dude who's, I'm a big believer that there's two principles of the one more book. One, I'll give you all these strategies on your brain and your matrix and your reticular activating system in your brain. I go through very detailed stuff on that. I manage time differently than anybody I've ever met before. That's different in my book. But for me, I think the things you want are closer than you think. That's the bottom line. And I think most people think their dreams or their visions or the things they want are really far away. So they act in accordance with that belief system and they constantly keep these things at bay. The truth is, and here's, it's a fact. I've watched it in my life. You can be one decision away from changing your life. You can be one meeting, one relationship, one thought, one podcast. Like you've done 900 plus of them, but for someone listening, it could be their first one. And that's what you and I always have to remind ourselves of. It could be their first one. 
And so for me, those one mores have stacked up in my life. And then for me to find baseline confidence, you've had a million people on to go, oh, if you want to keep, if you want self-confidence, keep the promises you make to yourself. That's like the generic advice, right? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. What does that do for you? Nothing. But let me tell you what it does. In life, you don't get your goals, you get your standards. So what if you just set a different standard for your life? So because I had all this anxiety and insecurity, for me to get to be baseline confidence isn't going to do me any good. I had to do something different. So I don't keep the promises I make to myself. I keep the promises I make to myself plus one more. So if I'm going to do 10 reps on the bench, it ain't 10, it's 10 plus one more. If I'm going to make 10 contacts a day, it's not 10, it's plus one more. If I'm going to tell my daughter I love her every day, it's not I love you, I tell her one more time. People think, well, that's corny. You stack up all those one mores, you're a different human being, period. And not the fact that just mathematically you've done more, but you've created a reputation with yourself that's not this baseline advice you get in every other self-confidence book is make your bed, drink your water. Well, a lot of people do that that don't win. But I don't know anybody who does all that plus one more consistently that doesn't win. I don't know anybody. The reason you're so good at this is because of the reps, the one mores you've done. I think that's really true. And, you know, and and it takes a while. Well, a couple of things. One is, like you have a section on on time management and yep. and to do one more on all these areas you you need to have the time and i always when i see the words time management <laughs> i think oh my god this is going to be another bullshit thing yes but it's actually and as you put it in the book it's really important like people don't write that novel because they spend an extra half hour a day like watching tv or or surfing on twitter or whatever and that's a half hour a day is what you need for in a year you'll have two novels written whatever yeah. Like what, what talk about time management for a second. Cause how do, when, when you say this to people, people say, Oh my God, I just don't have the time. You try raising five kids or whatever. The, they the, have their excuses. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to do and would never do, I'm too busy is like write the same book. Most personal development books are the same derivative of think and grow rich with like just a slightly different twist on it. Right. Yeah. Here's the truth. And I don't mean to be well, disrespectful. Well, also, think, think and grow rich has that weird chapter on sex, but other than it that, it does yeah. have a ch sex chapter. Well, you, you know, the book. <laughs> Yeah. I got to tell you, it's my one of my favorite books ever. But the truth is, you don't just think and get rich. That's a lie. You got to do stuff. You have. So, what are the things you need to think and do in congruency? And one of those is time. So, here's the thing: the most antiquated, ridiculous concept in the history of mankind is the idea of a 24-hour day. It's it's stupid, and yet it's the one thing that most people just obliviously go through their life and have. The truth is, you can bend and manipulate time. The concept that we manage time the same way we did 300 years ago. It's so ridiculous. There was no You're internet. You're totally right because right, like like just using. If I wanted to find a fact, I don't have to go to the library. I could just in me? three seconds you use Google. If you wanted to correspond with me, there was no freaking phones three hundred years ago, right? There's yeah. no electricity yet. The day's still twenty four hours. Why? Because of the way the sun and the earth rotate, or some bullshit. That's ridiculous. It's the most dumb thing ever. Right? You can get in. My, me and you were kids. We had to go to the library and research and get an Encyclopedia Britannica. My daughter takes two seconds, gets the answer. I wanted to message you 100 years ago. I'd put it on a horse's back, write a letter. Three months later, you'd answer me back. That was a 24-hour day. Now I could text you in 10 seconds. It's insane. So I stopped doing that. <laughs> and everybody should. I didn't just write a book. Time management. Oh, to-do list. Uh, do what's urgent and important. Give me a break, right? It's the time and how you bend and manipulate it. So my first day is 6 a.m. to noon. Really simple. And some days I just screw off like a 24-hour day. But in my day, 6 a.m. to noon, I'm getting the amount of contacts, fitness, faith, work, family, laughter, whatever it might be. 
in that window. We've all had that morning where we go, I got more done this morning than I've done in three weeks. Of course you have, because you bend and manipulated time that morning. So if you can do that then, why not? Now, here's what happens. My day ends at noon. So like the end of a normal 24-hour day, this clock goes off and I go, what did I get done? What do I need to do tomorrow? What was the most important things? What am I grateful for? What do I need to double my efforts? What's left on my list? The next day starts, noon to 6 p.m. Same thing, contacts, fitness, faith, and I've got another day. And I, and I get it all in there. Sometimes I don't do anything. Sometimes I lay on the couch for that day, but it's a day. Yes, well, I get a third day, and it's 6 p.m. to midnight, and that's a day. I sleep for part of it. I do fun for part of it. I go to dinner. I make contacts. I do meetings. So now I get three days in a day. I get 21 days in a week. Well, you get seven. Stack that up over a month. Stack that up over six months. Stack that up over six years. Stack that up over a decade. I'm going to crush you in life. In fact, I get more days in my life. So the difference between me is not that I'm extraordinary. It's the last 25 years I've had way more days than most people. And the other thing that happens the world responds to you differently. I wasn't successful financially 25 years ago, but I vibrated like it because guess what? What's rare and precious is perceived as valuable in our culture. That's why diamonds are more, more valuable than paper. So because my time is more scarce, I become perceived more valuable. And now the world responds to me differently. Clients do, colleagues, everybody does. And so my whole world's changed. I've had thousands of days in a year where the average person gets 365. That is not BS. And it's these clocks that go off. There's this accountability. There's this, it's changed my entire existence. It's in the top five things I would say that make me different the last 25 years. Cause I'm not different as a person. I'm different in terms of days and time. So what, what made you the change? Like, like, you know, you've said before, and you've said in the book, you've experienced anxiety, you know, you've experienced failure. You've experienced, you have, you have the concept of one more inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Like what, what was going on? Like, was there a point where you were going to quit or change things in a different way? Yeah. I've man, listen, I've always wanted to be somebody. I've just always wanted to do something great with my life. I just didn't believe that I could. And because I came from this belief, I said, I could spend the rest of my life trying to convince myself I'm somehow special and gifted when I kind of know that's not true. Or I could actually just start to do things in accordance with what it would require for me to become happier or more successful. And so I did. And so there was a point where I had a business that was failing. I had just gotten married, brother. And I'm out there like selling the dream like you do when you're an entrepreneur, if you're an entrepreneur. What was, what was the business? It was a financial business. And I had done well for a while, like young, like I had bought a couple houses and I had a nice car. And then slowly but surely, the look, you have a thing in your life called your identity. Your identity is your self-worth. Everyone talks about it, but they don't understand it. Your identity is like a thermostat setting of your life. Like this room right here is set at 75 degrees. If it becomes 90 degrees outside, the outside doesn't dictate it. The thermostat kicks in and regulates the temperature of this room back to 75 degrees. What happens in everybody's life, they read all these books, they do all these things like I did, and I started to get 80, 90, 95, 100 degrees of financial and business success, but I did not change my identity. So unconsciously over time, I turned the freaking air conditioners on. And it looks random. Ah, business this, the market change, crypto's down, stock market's down. I had to make a loan. My car broke down. BS. You turned the air conditioner on of your life and you got back to what you believe you deserve. And so I did this repeatedly when I was young. But one time I took it to an extreme. House was foreclosed, car repoed, power turned off. But the worst, man, I had the water turned off when I was my wife and I were newly married. 
You can lose everything. You lose water, you're toast. You can't cook, you can't bathe. And I would find myself not that far from where I live now, bro. Every morning I would get up in our apartment complex. Now we're not living in our home. Had an outdoor shower at the pool. And my wife and I would walk down there, man, and I'd hold a towel up while my new bride would take a shower outside and brush her teeth. And then we'd switch and she'd hold a towel up and I'd do it. Now, was she upset at you? Like she married someone who was, you know, a provider. I mean, I'm not saying that's why she married you, but I'm saying you were you became a different person and, and her lifestyle was different than when she first met you. Was Were you afraid? Forget whether she was upset. Were you afraid she was going to upset, be upset and judge you and maybe not like you and, and so on? Great question. Yeah, I think she did. I don't think it was that we were broke. I think it was how she saw me conducting myself. All of a sudden, I wasn't Mr. Like I'm on this podcast. I was laying on the couch at 1130. She went and got a job to support us when I was an entrepreneur. I remember one day she came home. She goes, I didn't sign up for this. It was like 430 in the afternoon. I'm watching Jerry Springer. And she'd been out all day working. And she's like, you need to get your ass up. This is not who I married. This is not fair. And she did. And I was just ashamed, man. I was just completely ashamed. And I'm like, what could I do to change this? And that's what's in the book. Like, it's actually the detailed stuff. I don't want to write another book. I don't want to write another book that's some derivative of Think and Grow Rich. All right? I wanted to do the stuff that I'd done. And the stuff that I've done is I've done one more. The stuff that I've done is I've bended and manipulated time. I've forced myself. I had Phil Heath on my show recently, seven-time Mr. Olympia. I said, why do you think you're so successful? How do you win seven O's? Obviously, his supplementation was probably different than some people's, right? And he gave me the answer. Hey, well, one more supplement. One more supplement, okay. right? But he said, he gave his answer. I said, I don't think that's why you um, are successful. And and I'm going to tell you why I think you are, which you usually don't do with a guest. And he goes, well, what do you think it is? I said, I think you have a different relationship with pain than the average person. I think you chase painful and inconvenient things. And you've built a habitual pattern of your life of being willing to do inconvenient and sometimes painful things to your own benefit. Let's talk about that because I think you're you're dead right in fact for the concept of one more is great and 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 that's what you should have called your book but for a brief second i just thought you should have called it the power of inconvenience mm. because that's like the power of no yourself, it's better you're right <laughs> yeah, you, but but it's just like if you want to get good at something you have to put yourself into a situation where your instinct and everyone else's instinct would be you're not going to do well in this situation you're putting yourself in it's, it's counterintuitive. It's against human nature, which is why you should do it. What do we try to do? We try to do the more convenient thing, the more convenient path, the less painful thing. We're wired to do that. And that's why we're wired to be average and ordinary. But if you could begin to condition yourself to say, what's the inconvenient thing here? What's the difficult thing? What's the hard thing? Our culture today, and I love everybody, but we don't celebrate people doing hard things like we used to. I try, and I'm 51 years old and really don't need to anymore, neither do you, to actually still push myself to do the inconvenient and difficult thing. I do it on a regular basis. I think that there's this thing that on the other side of pain, and I mean this sincerely, you get introduced to your other self when you go through, if you're a kid of an alcoholic or a difficult meeting or a hard workout, you meet another you. And that other you is what produces the other life, but you'll never meet the other you if you don't do the inconvenient and painful thing. You'll continue to be you doing convenient things. And so if I want to yeah. change myself, this is just like, look, I'm a basic dude. I've had the most, the neuroscientist of planet earth on it. When I teach stuff, they're like, that's how this works in the brain. Okay. I get all that. I got a whole thing on the reticular activating system in the book. I can go there if you want. Right. But the bottom line is I do hard stuff. 
I do inconvenient things on a regular basis. And the more familiar you become with discomfort and pain, the more it loses its power over you and you have power over it. And that's a different relationship in your life where this stuff does not manipulate me anymore. Hard stuff, inconvenient stuff, painful stuff I'm ill-prepared for. I am willing to do things I'm ill-prepared for. So there's a lot to unpack there because I think there's a little difference between inconvenient thing and doing something you don't like doing. Like, let's say you decided, okay, you're not going to be an entrepreneur anymore. Mm -hmm. You're going to um, be a used car salesman. Yeah. Uh, you, that's inconvenient, but you don't want to do it. So why should you do it? Like, but, but like what's, but an inconvenient thing is, let's say you want to be a good tennis player. Okay. Challenge yourself to, I don't know, win your club's tournament, even though you've never picked up a tennis racket before mm -hmm. or whatever. Like I'm, I'm, I'm making it like, what's an, an inconvenient thing in business that you've done? Speaking. So I, I got into the business. I said, I'm going to find people, the other old adage in business, surround yourself with people who are good at the things you're not. That sounds good. And you should do it. There's an element of that. But in the businesses I've been in, many of them have required the ability to communicate in public. One of the greatest fears of my life was to get up in front of a room and speak or to get on a podcast and talk. The idea that later I now host a podcast is insane to me. And that I'm, I speak in front of 50,000 people in arenas. It's insane to me. So I started forcing myself to get up at that conference meeting of 11 people and speak, which was hard for me in the beginning, incredibly difficult. And then the more I did it, the more people were like, you know, that was pretty good. Yeah, that, I, actually, that one was really good. Where'd you get that from? I'm like, I have really no idea. But because it was so... I mean, you are a really good speaker. Like, so are you. you have a voice. You have a good voice for radio also. I have a, like, have you ever done radio? I have, I have the face for radio. Let's be really clear. So... Nah, I don't you know, know about but that. You, but I, but I, I think what happened was, man, on the other side of that, I met this part of me that I didn't know existed. And I didn't know it existed that, you know what? Hey, turns out you were born with a deep voice and you got a pretty good vocabulary. And so the more I did it, the more I'm like, actually... What if it's that on the other side of inconvenient things are like some of your gifts? What if that's true? What if like on the other side of really inconvenient stuff, you meet parts of yourself that are actually your greatest giftedness? And I know there's all this theory and rah-rah. I'm proof of this. Like one of my, like I've made a lot of pretty good money in businesses speaking. And if you'd have met me at 25, you'd have said that's the most, int int I'm still introverted and shy. If it's high, if I saw you, when I was at a mall and I knew you from high school, I would love to say hello to you, but I'm going to duck into a store and hide. And I'm 51 years old. When I'm on the road, I get room service. I don't eat out to this day. I'm so introverted still, brother. If there's a crowd of people like in a lobby of a hotel, I will walk around the hotel not to walk through the crowd of people just to avoid the interaction because I'm so introverted. And I love people and I talk to people all day long. So there's still these elements of me I have to work on. But on the other side of this really painful thing, which was speaking in public, I uncovered one of my biggest skills and gifts I've used in business the rest of my life. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, 
I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hold up. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So let's go back to that moment where your wife said, I didn't sign up for this. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you weren't just lying on the couch watching Jerry Springer. I imagine you were also kind of depressed or anxious or whatever, or feeling like crap about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard to also change the mindset. It's, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start doing one more of everything. And I'm going to, and I'm going to figure out this time stuff and everything. But like, but you also have to kind of go through this wall of depression that's surrounded you. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get through that? It's the questions you ask yourself. So it's not the meaning of our life that, it's not the events that matter. It's the meaning we attach to them. And so what I was doing is I have this thing in the book called One More Question. There's questions we regularly ask ourselves that we're unconscious of. It's just true. And until you take control, what is thinking? Like, you want to change your thought. Well, I want to change my mindset. Well, that's a thought. What's a thought? A thought is the process of asking and answering questions to yourself. That's what it is. And so what I have to do is change the questions I'm asking myself. The question changes the meaning. And so it might even be as simple as saying, what would I need to believe about this so that it would serve me? But back then I kept asking myself, why did this happen to me? Why are people taking advantage of me? Man, how am I going to, you know, how are we going to get the water turned back on? All these negative things I was feeding myself all the time were giving me answers that didn't serve me. And so I had to change the question. And that's a habit. It's a habitual. And you have them millions of times, bro. It's a absolute thought loop pattern that humans have. And one thing is just being aware when you're doing it, it loses a lot of its power over you. So I can do like, ah, I'm doing it again. Like my, I, and by the way, a lot of this is installed in us when we're young by loving people. My dad, God bless him, passed away last year. I was 50 years old. My dad, thank you. I would have, my dad would have this saying to me. He didn't even know he was saying it, bro. He'd go, hey, I go, what are you doing today? I go, oh, I'm taking Max to the Angel game. He goes, hey, have a great time. Be careful. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I got a speech in Vegas. There's 20,000. Hey, crush the speech. Be careful. He would just have this figure of speech. Be careful. Well, what does that do? It changes my thought pattern as a little boy. And as, oh, what do I need to be careful of? What am I afraid of? What do I need to be worried about? What should I have anxiety about? And so I'm in a loop as a human. I'm constantly thinking about what I'm afraid of, what I should worry about, what could come get me, what problem that doesn't exist could arrive that I need to be careful about. Well, that's how I've lived my life. I have a whole chapter on emotions. We have these primary emotions we're going to get every single week of our life, regardless of the conditions, don't you? They're your familiar home. That could be anxiety, fear, worry, depression, ecstasy, joy, passion, peace, whatever. But you're going to get them, even if they don't serve you. Because they're familiar, you want more of them. And so we do all kinds of emotions and thoughts that don't serve us because they're the familiar, because our mind moves towards what it's most familiar with. So here's what I did. I started changing the questions I asked myself. So what would I need to believe about this for this serve me? Where's the solution here, not where's the problem? You know, what are the emotions I want to get out of my day, not just the outcomes and the goal? What am I intentional about? If I'm going to have self-confidence, where's it going to come from? Self-confidence doesn't just come from the promises you make. I had a great conversation, man. You'd appreciate this. I was, I want a trip in my financial company. I'm running on the beach in Maui. I'll come up for air after this. There's this dude running towards me. Bald guy, hairy back, sweaty. I'm like, oh boy. And it's dark. It's the morning. It's like 5.15. It's Wayne Dyer. 
Oh my it's, gosh. It's one of my heroes at the time who ended up being a lifelong friend. He was the third guest on my podcast. Please stop it. Are you kidding me? No, in 20, it was the last podcast he did actually. It was back in 2014. What a bless. Oh my, I got to go listen to that. Like I am going to go listen to that. What a blessing because he became a dear, dear friend of mine. And I'm wow. third. I'm not even 30. And I end up, I go, Dr. Dyer, we're wearing Sony Walkman. That's how old I am. You changed my life. And he runs by me. He has a deep voice, as you know, as well. And he goes, well, I doubt that. You probably did, but how did I help you? And he walked towards me and I sat down on the beach. And for 90 minutes, I watched the sun come up with Wayne Dyer. And throughout that conversation, he was very kind to me, but he said something that's in the book. And I, I will never forget this, man. I think it could help everybody because they probably never heard this before. He said, Ed, you're immensely talented young man. I think you're brilliant the way you think. You're going to change the world, which I'm sure he said to lots of people. But Wayne was really good at telling you why, which is a different, it's a separator. And he goes, but, and he goes, but that's not why you're going to. And he goes, would you do me a favor the rest of your life? Never attach your confidence to your abilities. I went, what? Everyone, what? How, why would I not do that? He goes, because you'll be chasing it all your life. You'll never get there. So explain what you mean. Explain what it is. He said to me, Ed, if you're chasing your abilities and your achievements for confidence, you'll always be chasing and it's a never-ending pursuit of nothingness. So I don't want I want you to have those things, but your confidence in order to get them cannot be predicated on your ability all the time. And I said to him, Well, then what in the world would be the thing that I should attach my worth and confidence to? And he said, Your beautiful intentions. He says, you intend to really make a difference. You intend to serve people. And he goes, Ed, you have a knowing about yourself that that's true. You have a knowing that that's true. And he said, Ed, if you'll always attach that when you walk into a meeting, you walk into a room, you walk in anywhere, I'm a good man. I intend to serve. I intend to make a difference. He goes, nobody does it. Now, what I didn't know is at that time, he was writing a book called The Power of Intention. As you know, he wrote that book. It's a beautiful book. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, brother, what started to happen to me when I was on that couch as I started to not reflect on my abilities or my achievements, but I started to change the questions I asked myself, which was my thinking. I started to change what I did, my time, my one mores, and I never again predicated my confidence on the results because I had no confidence at that time because the results were so bad. I started to attach it to my intention, and I started to remind myself, I intend to make a difference. I intend to love my family. I intend to serve people. I intend to create abundance in people's lives, and I started to move a little different, man. And since that day, before a speech, before a meeting, before a podcast, I just do a little quick prayer or thought with myself. I intend to serve people. I intend to make a difference. I don't have every answer, but I intend to. And that's changed my life. And, you know, I think even at like, let's call it a micro level, this one more is very important because people listening to this might say, oh, my God, he does. How am I going to do that? He does one more in every part of his life. And I'm doing nothing right now. I'm thinking this as you're talking. But if you start off just doing one more of anything bingo that's enough and you grow you gradually build up okay i don't do it in every area i'm making myself sound better than i am so i want to clarify that but let me tell you where i started it you're gonna think this is totally stupid i used to drink three liters of water a day and i'm like what one thing could i actually completely control that no one can take from me and so the first one more i did was one more liter of water a day i'm not kidding you and so it's actually sitting right here I drink a gallon of water a day. You're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Really? Well, I got, I, wow. I, 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 uh, I got to be honest with you. Uh, it ain't so dumb. So I started with drinking one more liter of water a day. That was my first one more. And then I'm like, I hate cardio at the gym. I do do 30 minutes. Most guys do an hour, but I can do one more minute. 
So I'm going to do 31. And I'm going to send five text messages out today. I can do one more of these. If I could tell you, man, if you indulge me for one minute, I'm going to say one thing to you that I've not said anywhere. The biggest decision that changed my life was my dad getting sober. I talk about it a lot in the book, and it's, it's, it, it is what it is. I wrote the whole book. I'm 51 years old. I have all these strategies in there, and they're pretty heavy strategies in the power of one more. Two weeks ago, I woke up. Because what you're saying is exactly right. Everyone sits there and goes, well, man, that's good for you, but not me. You don't know about this thing I'm ashamed of. You don't know about this setback I've had. You don't know about this bankruptcy. You don't know about this business I started that failed. You don't know about my divorce. You don't know about how average I've been. Like, all oh, that's good for you. You don't know. I'm just, you don't know. I'm disqualified. And so I woke up about two weeks ago. I woke my wife up. I said, babe, wake up. And I was pretty emotional. I actually it was really emotional. And I said, honey, wake up. Someone helped daddy. She knew my dad. We went to high school together. She said, what? I said, someone helped my dad get sober. In the darkest moments of my dad's life, when he was losing his family, the most shameful seconds of my father's life, with his life literally on the line, in some bar or coffee shop or dark room somewhere, some precious soul altered the direction of my family's life, of me. It's why I'm married to you. It's why we have beautiful kids. Our grandkids we haven't had yet someday are indebted to this person. Millions of people who listen to me. This precious soul helped them. She goes, oh my God. And I said, I don't know who they are. I have no idea who they are. And I said, here's the kicker, babe. Do you know what qualified them to help my dad? The things they were the most embarrassed by and ashamed of. The things they think that disqualified them. That they were also an alcoholic and a drug addict. That when they were drinking and driving, ironically, the thing they're most embarrassed and ashamed of prepped them to save my father's life. When they were stealing money from their family to get drugs, or most embarrassed by, or lost a job, or did this, was qualifying them to help my dad. That was the very thing qualifying them to help my dad. The things they're most embarrassed, ashamed of, the most average, basic things about them that you would think disqualifies you as a human in humanity is what qualified them to change my life and my dad's life. Isn't that freaking amazing? And this is what people do, man, when they listen to our shows. This is good. Yeah, but not me. I'm disqualified. I'm divorced. I'm BK. I got no money in the bank. I've got this stuff you don't know about I'm ashamed of and embarrassed by, right? You don't know or how average I am. I've never done anything before. Why would I do it now? Because this was all preparation for you when you do start to actually do the things I write about in the book to actually change lives, including your own. And so I just had to share that with you, man. It blew my mind that though the worst things about that person's life that they thought disqualified them is exactly what prepared them to meet that moment. So now they're listening to this. They're listening to you. They're reading your book. And they're asking themselves, I just, I just don't know. I'm, I'm upset. I'm still kind of going through these things. What's the one thing, what's the one more thing they can do today that will start putting them on maybe a path? I'm not saying a good path or a bad path, just a path. It, it, it can start in your mind. So there is a part of your, I have a second chapter is called The Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies. And it talks about bullet time where things slow down. With the athletes and entertainers I work with, I, I teach them to do this. So there's two frames of reference in life that we operate out of. There's two operating systems in our brain. There's what 99% of the people do, which is they operate out of their memory and their history. That's their operating platform. That's their view. That's their filter. They operate out of memory and history. And because they do that, they repeat the same patterns in their life, as you said earlier, over and over again. Different set of characters, different people, maybe different circumstances, same stuff. 
Rarely does someone make the decision to shift and operate out of imagination or dreams or vision. When you're young, you're happier when you're three or four because you are operating out of an imagination, not a memory and a history because it doesn't exist. Why you're stuck is you're operating out of memory and history. Same thoughts, same memories, same emotions, same patterns, same behaviors. It's memory and history. Change that to imagination. Begin to imagine again. Yeah, like literally dream, imagine, repeated visualization. Why? Your mind moves towards what it's most familiar with. What does that mean? There's a thing in your brain called the reticular activating system. It is your matrix. When something is important to you, your filter reveals it to you. This is how your mind works. So for example, I just bought a, 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 a Tesla. I don't even want one. I knew you were going to okay. say that. I predicted in my mind that you Are were going to say that. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. I, he, I said, he's going to tell me a Tesla. Jay's buying a Tesla okay, there also. there you go. So I like, I buy one. Brother, everywhere I drive now, honey, red Tesla, white Tesla. They're every, babe, three lanes over, other side of the freeway going the other direction. Honey, black plaid Tesla. Can you believe it? Weren't those Teslas always there? They were always there, but they weren't part of my filter. They weren't part of my reticular activating system, so I was oblivious to them. In a crowded room, if you hear your own name, 300 people, Ed, James, even if it's not audibly louder than everyone, you can hear it over the other sounds. Why? It's part of your RAS. The key thing in your life is with repeated visualizations, simple imagination visualizations over and over and over again that you can do while you're sitting there. Those decisions, those one more meetings, those one more relationships become your Teslas. And you begin to see things that were always there that you were oblivious to, hear things that were always there that you didn't hear before. This is not hokey and rhetoric. It's proven in every day of our life. So, but if you're most familiar with your anxieties, your fears, your worries, your filter reveals those sounds, those visions, those people, those relationships to you to reinforce this belief system, and you're in that pattern again. So the key is to change the filter from memory and history, and I teach you how to do it in the book, to imagination and vision, and you begin to operate out of that, and they start to become your Teslas because your mind moves towards what it's most familiar with every freaking day of your life. And now we know we get three days in one day, so that's cool. So if we could do it, we can speed it up. Well, Ed, I I really appreciate this so much. I mean, I know, can we do a part two at some point? Can you come back on the podcast? Because I know you're strapped for time and I, and I want to talk more. And, and The Power of One More is a great book. It really is like not the average BS whatever. And because I got sick of that like a long time ago, but I read your book. I wanted you on and I want to talk more. I know you're strapped for time. Uh, can you come uh, back on again and we'll, and we'll continue the conversation. We'll release this, but I want you, you know to come that back I'd be on honored again. to do it. You're the most prepared of all the interviews anybody ever does. And I'm not doing a lot for this book just out of respect to the people who are great enough to interview me so that they all get traction as well. I'd love to come back and talk with you. And you know that I want you on my show. We've been trying to do that as well. So we got to make that happen. Oh yeah. I'd love to. But I, I want you to come back on selfishly. I want you to help me. So so you're going to come back on again. Thanks so much. And definitely, yeah, Jay, well, well let's get Ed on again because I, I need his help. I'm here, brother. Oh, it's so great for today. Thank you, Jay. I look forward to hearing from you. We'll do it again. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.